in mind. Well, we're kicking off a brand new teaching series this morning. I, I, of course, I say this a lot. I think it's just preacher cliche. I'm excited about this. I'm always excited to share God's Word because it changes me. Specifically throughout the week when I spend hours and hours studying and, and uh, uh, preparing for what God would have me to share with you guys, before it even hits your ears, God is working in my life. And I always learn. I always grow. And so my prayer is today is that, that you will take what God has given me and that it would fall in your ears and in your heart and that you would begin to grow more and more like Christ and become the person that He's called you to be. But the series that we're doing, we call it Walk This Way. Everybody say, Walk This Way. Now, <laughs> I knew someone was going to finish that talk this way. Yeah. This series is not about the Aerosmith song or the, or, or, or the Run DMC song, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. Uh, this series is actually about learning to walk in the way that God has called us to and to live the way that He's called us to. We're, we're going to talk about learning to live in the light as God is in the light. We're going to learn to, live, learn to live in love. We're going to learn to, what it's like to live in holiness and walk in holiness. Because after all, holiness is God's way of living. It's not a scary word. Okay, I think a lot of times we hear that word holiness and we think something super spiritual like, you know, oh, you've you got to be holy. Yeah, we, we are holy if we're in Christ. He has made us holy. But He wants us to walk in holiness. He wants us to walk in love. He wants us to love Him more with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we will love others and that life will not be about us, but it will be about God and about putting others first. That's what it means to live in holiness, to walk in holiness, is to walk God's way, to live God's way. And that's really what this series is about as we learn to walk this way, a series on holiness. Now, I want to kind of kick us off this morning uh, by saying this, um, I think most of us in this room, as I quickly glance, most of us are old enough to recognize that styles change. Especially when it comes to fashion and hairstyles and clothing. We know that those things change, right? Um, what, what things used to look like back in the 70s, for those of you who are old enough to remember, some of you go back further than that, but we're just going to cap it at the 70s, but you know that, that what was the styles of the 70s were different, the 80s were different than the 70s, the 90s were different than the 80s, um, to what was happening and what was fashionable in, in, in 2000s, the early 2000s, was different than it was in the 90s and 80s, and it's different than, than even what it is today, and if you don't believe me, just go home this afternoon and, and, and get out your scrapbooks or get out your, your photo albums and look at some of the things that, that you were wearing as a child. Look at your clothes. Look at what your parents were wearing. Look at, look at, look at the hairstyles that you had. Look at, look, at, look at what your mother used to dress you. I still hold a grudge against my mother for some of the outfits that she dressed me in as a child. I hold a grudge against myself for some of the things that I wore when I thought I was cool and hip. And in style. And let's just reminisce for a moment. I know some of you are older than me, some of you are younger, but if you're my age, you're probably going to relate. How many remember parachute pants? How many, yeah, how many had those? Anybody? Yeah. I think uh, several of us had those parachute pants. I, I don't know, what were they, like nylon material or something? And 
zippers all over them, that you're cool. I mean, if you didn't have parachute pants, you were, you were out of style. How, how about the Levi's 501 stonewashed jeans? Yeah, I had a gray pair, a black pair, a blue pair. I had about every kind of pair. Uh, and then I even wore, and I'm not even a cowboy, uh, but I, I even bought some roper boots. Y'all remember those? Because that was cool. And you had the belts. What were the, the rope belts called that like hang way down? Y'all remember those? I, I'm sure they had a name. Y'all don't remember those? They, you, like, you like buy them like really long and it's like about you know, 10 or 12 inches hang down. Y'all, y'all don't remember those? Yeah, so, yeah, they were in style. They were in style. What else did we used to wear? I, I mean, we, I wore the Coca-Cola attire. Remember the guests? I'm sure they still make this, but the, I think the guys had the green triangle and the girls had the red triangle. I mean, these were... These, this was the style. Now think about the hairstyles, especially for you ladies. Remember the perms and the, um, the teasing. The higher that you could get your bangs, the, the more in style that you were. You remember, ladies, did you ever crimp your hair? Now I only know about this because I Googled it this week. It wasn't like I remember these things. We had, we had styles back then. Guys, we had some crazy hairstyles as well. Y'all remember the rat tails? How, yeah, that's what I thought. And, and for those of you that don't know what that is, it's where you let your hair grow real long in the back and then you cut everything except just a, just a little rat tail. And it just hangs down. And people would take those and pull them around and put them in their mouth and just, it's gross. How about the duck tails? Y'all remember those? And then I heard somebody say, well, ago, the mullet. That once was in style. And if today, if you're still wearing that mullet, this is, this is not a message of condemnation. We're just... We're just telling you with the love of God that you need to let that go. It's, 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 it's no longer in style, right? My point is, and it's fun to think about, my point is that styles change. And it's fun to think about. But as we're thinking about styles changing, I, I want us to, to think about how the Apostle Paul, and we're going to read it here in just a second, he was writing to the church of Ephesus, and, and he's writing to them, he's writing to the believers, and he's talking to them about their old way of living and how they used to have a style. But he's about to say, okay, but that was back when that was in style for you. It fits you back then. But now you're different. Now you are holy. Now you are identified with Christ. Now you have been ado- adopted by God, so you have a new style. You have a new identity. You have a new way of living. You're no longer who you used to be. You have a new life. And your new life necessitates new style. Your new identity demands and requires you to live a different way. And this is what he's writing to the church at Ephesus. In other words, what he's telling them is there are some things that you used to do that are out of style now. For you as a believer. They're not in style anymore. You've been made new. You should have a different style. And that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to read, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll get there in just a moment. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter number 4. But before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of a summary of what the book of Ephesians is about, or really more importantly, how how it's um, divided into two main groups. Um, For those of you who are familiar with the book of Ephesians, it's six chapters long. But those six chapters can really be compiled into two main sections. 
The Apostle Paul is writing to believers and he's trying to get them to understand their new identity. He's trying to get them to understand your new way of living. You have been adopted by God. You've been put into the family of God. Now you need to live a different way. You need to learn to love God more. I want you to experience the fullness of God so that you will love God more and in turn that you would love other people. So he's talking about these two things. He's talking about how to love God and how to experience the love of God and then how to love other people. This is why he wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, so that believers would love God more and love other people. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with the calling. Everybody say calling. The calling of the church. How that God through Jesus has called us out, has called a group of people out. When you read chapter number 1, Paul is telling them that before God made the world, He chose us in Christ to be holy. He chose a group of people to be His family. He adopted us in His family. He has identified us as His own by giving us His Holy Spirit. And then He ends chapter 1 with a prayer. He says, I pray that God would give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God and understand the incredible greatness of His power. And then he moves into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, he reminds them that by grace they have been saved. By grace they have been changed. They've been changed by the grace of God. It wasn't anything that they could do to earn it. They didn't do anything to deserve it. It was only by God's grace that they have been saved. And, and, And Paul says he saved us and called us out so that we could do, everybody say do, so that we could do the good things that He planned for us long ago. So he, he, He's telling about how God has identified you, how He's saved you, how He's brought you out. And then He says, here's why He did that. So that you could do the good things that He planned for you long ago. And then He moves into chapter number 3. And in chapter number 3, He tells them of God's mysterious plan. here's the mysterious plan, how God had saved us and called us out and identified us as His own so that He could use us to show the world His greatness. And then once again, He ends chapter 3 with another prayer. And He says, I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner man and that your roots would grow down into God's love so that you may experience the fullness of His love and be empowered to accomplish great things in this world. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with the calling of the church. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with the conduct of the church. This is very important. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's telling them that they're a called group of people. God has called you out. As a believer, God has called you out. He's adopted you. He saved you. He's identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit. He saved you by His marvelous grace. He has a plan for your life. And here's His plan that you would now use what He's given you to reach other people. To teach other people about Christ. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with the calling of the church. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with the conduct of the church. You could say it like this. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with our position as far as who we are in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with practice. Position, who we are, and then practice of who we are to be and what we are to be doing. 1, 2, and 3 deal with the calling. 
and the position of who we are in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with conduct and the practice of how we are to live. It's very, very important that we understand what Paul is writing about. Paul's not talking about following a list of rules. He's not talking about checklist Christianity. He's talking about the fact that in light of who we are in Christ, we should now live a different way. In light of who we now are in Christ, we should have a new style. The old style doesn't fit us anymore. Things that we used to do as non-believers, they don't fit us now that we are believers. That's what he's telling us. We've been bought with a high price. We've been saved. We've been identified. Now we should have a new style because our new life necessitates a new style. It demands a new way of living. In light of who you are in Christ, you are to live differently. So let's, let's begin reading in chapter number 4, verse number 1. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, therefore, now, therefore is a reflection of what he just told them in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Remember, he says, uh, God has saved you. God has called you. He has identified you as his own. He saved you by his marvelous grace so that you can uh, be strengthened in your inner man and that you would, your roots would grow down deep into his love and that you would experience all that he has for you. So that, he's done all that, so that you would walk worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. Look at that. He says, God has done all this. He's brought you out. He's saved you so that you will now walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of your calling. Man, that is, that is tough. That's both intimidating and humbling, all in one sentence. To walk worthy of this call. Walk this way. Because I have saved you, because I have identified you as my own, here's now how I want you to walk. Here's your new style, okay? It, relating that to what I talked about uh, at the beginning a while ago as far as styles going out, it's the, ni- it's the 2000s now, it's 2018. It, stop wearing things that we wore in the 90s. Change your hairstyle. That is out of style now. There's a new style, okay? That's what he's saying to the church. You're, you're not that person anymore. You're a new creation. Stop living your old lifestyle. There's a new way to live. And this is the way that I want you to walk. Now, let's, let's skip down to verse 17. We're going to read verses 17 through 32 of Ephesians chapter number 4. Keep in mind, Paul is writing to the church, and he's telling them that there's a new lifestyle for them now to live, because they are different now. They have a new life. Verse 17, he says, This I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Look at this. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, here's here's the new style change, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, because of this, because you have been changed, because you're no longer who you used to be, because your your old you has been crucified with Christ, 
Now you need to put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Verses 17 through 19, Paul describes the old position, the old way of life, the way we used to live before we met Christ, the way we used to walk, the style that we used to have. But then he says, but you're not to walk like that anymore. You're not to live that way anymore. You're to have a new lifestyle because you have been made new. You're no longer who you used to be. You're no longer of this world. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You've been adopted into God's family. And as a result of that, you should now have a new style. There should be a new way of living. You should have a a new outlook, a new uh, perspective on how you're going to live. You're no longer living now to please your flesh. You're now living to please the Lord and do what He has called you to do. Remember, 1, 2, and 3 talks about our calling. Now, 4, 5, and 6 is going to talk about our conduct, our practice, how we should now be living in light of the fact that we have been saved by God. It's very important. There should be a new lifestyle. In verse number 20, I love, I told you this last week, I love the, the buts in the Bible because there's usually, it's usually a, a but God. I was, I was this, but God. I used to do this, but, but God has changed me. And in verse number 20, Notice the but. Paul said you used to live like the world, but you now have a new position. So you should practice a new lifestyle. You used to live like the world, but now you have a new calling. So your conduct should be different. You used to have an old way of living, but that is out of style now. You got to let that go. He kind of shares the same message in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, when he's talking about um, uh, baptism and how we were saved and how we, uh, through baptism, we buried the the old man in Christ. Look at this and see if you can see the familiarity. He says, What shall we say then? Verse number 1, Romans 6. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? In other words, since I've been made new, am I to continue my same lifestyle that I've always lived? Am I to keep doing the same practices and same habits that I always have? He says, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, look at this, might do what? Might walk in the newness of life. Paul is saying this happens so that we could experience a new life. And so that we would now walk differently. 
so that we would now live differently. And this is what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes what happens when we give our lives to Christ. Our old man is buried. Our old way of doing things is buried. Our old style gets buried. And we take on a brand new identity. We put on a new robe, a robe of righteousness. We put on a robe of holiness. Now we are to walk that way. The old style is about self. The new style is about selflessness. The old style is about me, right? Me, me, me. The new style is about others. This is good. I'm telling you, this is going to be a challenging series. But it's, it's a good uh, measuring stick for, for how we are doing in walking in our new identity. Yes, I have been made holy in Christ, but how does my life look? Am I practicing holiness? Am I practicing living the life that God has called me to? Once again, I want to I read verses um, 25 through um, 32 again. Because this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time in this series. Verses 25 of, of Ephesians chapter number 4. Now, now keep in mind, Paul is talking about your new style. And he, he's contrasting it with what our old style looks like, okay? So he's going to give what we were doing in our, in our old way of living, he's going to contrast that with what we should be doing with our new life, in the way that we should be walking. Look at, look at verse 25. He says, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. So you got falsehood and truth. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. So in other words, he says, you used to get angry, but, but now I, I want you to practice keeping short accounts. Not, not, not having flashes of anger. Not letting things just boil and fester. You need to practice keeping short accounts and learning to forgive. Verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work. He says, it used to be a thief. And we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. Not just, just you know, outright stealing things, but, but how we're not working, as God says to work, to, to, to give, to, to be generous givers. We're working to, to gain so that we can be generous in our giving. That's the contrast. And then he says in verse number uh, 29, let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Instead of doing that, Speak and say things that are going to build one another up. That's a challenge. That's a challenge for me. It doesn't come natural. You don't have to comment on that. I know. I know my weaknesses. And then he says, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Skip down to verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So this is the way you used to live. But now, instead of doing that, I want you to be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. These are, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is fresh revelation to me. I've read this I, I, hundreds of times, maybe an exaggeration. I've read it a lot. But I've never really just spent the time to kind of look at the contrasting instructions that Paul is giving the lifestyle practices that he's given. Okay, you used to do this. Now, you need to change that for this. And in these instructions, Paul is giving us 
Two commands, actually. He's telling us, number one, reject what destroys unity. Anything that destroys unity, you need to reject it. If it hurts other people, you need to learn to reject it. If it hurts and damages relationships, you need to learn to reject it. So number one, we have to reject, everything he says here is, is, is one thing is to reject what destroys unity. And on the contrast to that, he says, I want you to promote what builds it up. Reject what destroys unity and promote what builds it up. That's the lifestyle. He says, that, that's your old way of living. When you would hurt people, when you were, when you were selfish, when, when, when you would say things out of anger, you got to learn to put that away. That's, that once was your style, but now it's no longer your style. Here's your new style. Learn to have patience. Learn to love. Learn to encourage. Learn to tell the truth. Everything that Paul just told them in verses 25 through 32 regarding how they were to walk in a new manner was the rejection of one thing and the promotion of another. And then he tells them why they need to do that. And what I want to do in, in this series is I want to spend some time in these verses right here. And I'm not just talking about spending time today. I'm talking about taking the next three to four weeks in unpacking each one of these instructions that He gives to us so that we'll have a clear understanding of what it means to practice holiness. So that we have a true understanding of what it means to walk the way that God has, has us, the way that He has for us to walk. To embrace this new lifestyle that is necessitated by our new identity. And for our rest of our time today, we're going to focus on the very first thing that Paul tells us to do. And it's right there in verse number 25. I want us to look at it again. The very first thing that Paul tells us to reject, he says, I want you to put away falsehood. Instead, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The very first thing that Paul says that you and I are to reject as a believer in Christ is lying. Now, I know that some of you is like, okay, this has nothing to do with me because most of us in this room are probably not just flat-out liars. I hope not. I know some people are. Some people are just liars. I mean, they just, they're just habitually lie, just make stuff up. And if that's you, I mean, obviously you need to repent and give your life to Christ because that is not your nature if you've, been, if you've given your life to Christ. But most people, most of us in this room, we don't just flat-out lie. If I have gone to the store and my wife asked me where I have been, I'm going to say, I've been at the store. I'm not going to say, oh, I was out, you know, playing golf. No, that's, that's just a, a flat-out lie. So, so most of us don't lie. But yet Paul is writing to believers. You have to understand. He's writing to people who have just recently put their life in Christ. So obviously he's having to address something here. And he says, you've got to put away falsehood. And in the church, and for us as believers, lying is much more subtle than just outright lying. But yet we lie all the time. There are people that are lying in this room right now. We, we don't lie with our words, we lie with our appearance. And our expressions. And our actions. We, we come to church on Sundays and, and, and we smile and we shake hands, and we hug, and we look like everything is A-OK -okay in our lives. We look like we got it all together. We wear masks that, that looks like that, man, their life is good. 
And people think that our life is good. But deep down inside, we're crushed, we're wounded. Our job's a wreck, our finances are a mess. Our marriage is falling apart. Our family is dysfunctional. Our kids are in rebellion. But when someone asks, hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. How are you doing? We lie. We lie. And, it, and it's funny because the very first thing that Paul says to reject in your new identity in Christ is lying. And I'm sure when he said that, probably most of them were thinking, well, I don't lie. That's childish. I never tell lies. But I believe that, especially he clarifies in the next thing, he says, I want you to tell your neighbor the truth. We hold back so much, don't we? Especially as men, we don't want anyone to know how we're really doing. And we lie. We hold things back. We're hurting. We're in desperate need of prayer, but we would never dare tell anyone what's going on. Because after all, what are they going to think about us? And we make Christianity to be about how we present ourselves to others rather than the fact that Jesus is the healer who wants to minister to our brokenness. So we pretend. We pretend like everything is A-OK. And I'm just here to tell you, Paul tells us why we need to reject lying. He goes on to say, you need to reject lying and tell your neighbor the truth because we're members of one another. In other words, if we're going to help one another, if we're going to come together in unity and be the body that, that God has called us to be and accomplish great things, at the minimum, there has to be a foundation of trust. We've got to be open and honest and truthful with one another. But yet we lie. We lie because... We want other people to think highly of us. So lying in the church, listen to this, often takes the form of pretense or image or putting forth something that isn't real. And, and lie, it says falsehood there, but lying is really just one form of falsehood. There are many forms. Manipulation is one of them. Cheating, misleading someone, exaggeration. Or minimization, which is the opposite of exaggeration. You're making something a lot smaller than really what it should be. Hypocrisy. Deception. Scheming. All of these are forms of, of lying. There are, there are people that in this room this morning that maybe you have a business and you're, you're not honest with your customers. Maybe you do some work on something and you charge them really more than what it took. I mean, this is all forms of lying. It's deceptive. And Paul is saying that, that that's your old style. There is no room for lying in your new identity. You've got to put on a new style. Because we are members of one another. Lying has to go. Pretending has to go. It's now out of style. People are in this room this morning. They're coming to church. They're lying. People sit in small groups, in life groups, and lie. People, ladies come to women's ministry and women's fellowship and they lie. I'm not talking about telling lies. I'm talking about they're, li they're hiding behind something. They're hiding the truth. Men come to men's meeting and they lie. Hey man, how's your kids? Oh, kids are great. How's your marriage? Man, it's going good. How's your job? Man, it couldn't even be any better. 
How's life treating you? Man, life is good. But deep down inside, man, you are lying. And you're never going to get the help. This is why Paul, I believe, he starts out the very first thing he says, if we're going to do great things, if we're going to accomplish great things for the Lord, if we're going to do these good works that he's planned for us to do long ago, we got to be open and honest with one another. There's a scripture in the book of James that's coming to mind right now. It's, it's a short book. Go home and read it. You'll find it. He talks about confessing your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. There are people I am committed. There are people in this room this morning. You are never going to be healed, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. You are never going to be healed until you can get open and honest with God and with other people. Now, this doesn't mean obviously that you just go and and spill out all your junk to just anyone at any time. I believe there's a time and a place and and in the right context for that. But we have to be open and honest with one another. Including myself. I, you know, pastor, I am pastor, yeah, but that's just a title. I'm still a human being. That, that, that role of pastor doesn't make me, you know, just supernatural. I have to be open and honest with people. I have to be open. I, I tell people, I tell our pastoral elder team, I tell them that my struggles. Man, I struggle. I'm weak in this area. And then they pray for me so that I can be healed. But there has to be accountability. We have to hold one another accountable. We have to be able to minister to one another. If we're going to build one another up, we have to be open and honest. We can't move forward until we learn to be truthful. So Paul says the very first thing, reject lying and promote the truth. Why? Because we're members one of another. We all belong to the same body. We all belong to the body of Christ. You're my brother. You're my sister. We've got to be open and honest with one another. It's funny. I think it's funny. It's, it's kind of ironic. If you remember, lying was the very first sin that was judged in the church. Remember the story in Acts chapter number 5, Ananias and Sapphira? What were they doing? They were lying. And they were judged harshly. And if we're going to accomplish the things that God has called us to, we have to be truthful with one another. We have to be open and honest. I'm convinced this morning because I've done it. And it's just, it's what we do as human beings. Because honestly, when you get down to the bottom of it, behind lying, really lying represents a deep desire for acceptance you want to be accepted so you you put forth an image so people will approve of you and accept think highly of you they think man they man that's scott man he's solid he's stable he's got it all together and we put forth this image like every everything's good and really behind that is this desperate need to be accepted Oh, I want people to like me. I want them to, I want them to, to brag about my marriage. I want them to, you know, to brag about how, how good that my relationship is with my kids. And, and man, we see this. I, I could really just go on and on here. I mean, you see this on Facebook and other social media. People, they put these pictures, and it's a lie. They put these pictures, and, and it looks like they have a great relationship with their kids. It looks like they have a great relationship with their spouse. And it's all a lie. 
It's all an image that they're trying to uphold. And, and I'm just here to tell you that, that until you get real, God can never fix you because God can't fix who you appear to be. God, I, I thought this was kind of quite humorous. God doesn't have imaginary friends. God, God wants to deal with the real you. He can't fix who you are appearing to be. Because that's, that person is non-existent. Are you following me? That's not a real person. He can only fix the real you. And the real you is the one who's hurting inside. The real you is the one who's broken inside. The real you is the one who's got weaknesses and, and failures. And, and, and you're failing to recognize that. And you're failing to admit that to other people. You're failing to confess that before God. And God said, man, my hands are tied until you can become open and honest. I know this message is for someone this morning. I've been wrestling with this. And like I said, we all go through seasons where, where maybe we're lying. We're, we're, just, we're hiding things from people. And Paul says, no, no, that's, that's who you used to be. you got a new style now. And that, that new style, the very first thing that you have to do is you have to reject lying. And you have to tell your neighbor the truth. Why? Because we belong to one another. We're here to help one another. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how in the world are we supposed to be the light to a dark world if we ourselves are, are hiding things, if we're keeping things to ourselves? We're never going to feel confident about who we are in Christ. We're going to struggle with our identity. We're going to struggle with condemnation. We're going to struggle with guilt. We're going to struggle with shame. And we'll never step out and do the good things that God planned for us to do long ago. We're going to hide. I can't do that. That's for someone else. That's for someone else who has it together. We hide. We pretend. Many of you got up this morning, you put a mask on. I'm not talking about makeup. I'm talking about some sort of fake mask that, that the person that I'm looking at right now is not the real you. You may fool me. You may fool other people. But you're not fooling God. And, and can you just hear this message this morning? God, this is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of, of God's love, how He wants to fix you, how He wants to help you, how He wants to heal you, how He wants to restore you, how He wants to resurrect that part of you that's dying. But you have to be real with Him. You have to speak the truth. Freedom is found in the truth. We just did a whole series. We spent five weeks talking about the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. But truth is hurtful. Truth will make you miserable because a lot of times it's not what you want to hear. But it's that truth that makes you free. And Jesus, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to experience that freedom, if you want that healing, you have to get in the truth, which is Jesus. Healing is found in the truth. Restoration is found in the truth. Hope is found in the truth. So Paul says, stop lying. Stop hiding. Stop pretending that you're someone that you're not. Reject the lies. Reject lying and promote the truth. I know. I, man, I can relate to this. When I feel like I'm hiding something, when I feel that I don't want someone to know about about something, about what I'm going through, when I'm trying to uphold an image, I, I isolate myself from people. I don't want to be around 
because there's a good chance that they may ask a question. And I don't want to have to lie. And this is, you know, this is exactly how the enemy works. Just try to get us off in isolation. Get us away from the herd. Get us away from the group. Get us away from the flock and isolate us. Make us feel condemned. Make us feel depressed. We're struggling with that identity. And I'm just here to tell you that the Apostle Paul is writing. He spends the first three chapters telling people who they are in Christ. Here's who you are. You've been adopted by God loves you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He loves you with unconditional love. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but God is there just like the prodigal son's father. He's waiting with open arms for you to come to your senses and admit that you've got some failures in your life, that you've got some weaknesses in your life, and run home to God so that He can heal your relationship, so that He can minister to your life. But we lie. We hide. We manipulate. We exaggerate. We minimize things. We deceive. And God is saying this morning, He wants to heal you. He wants to minister to your life. He wants you to embrace the life of freedom that He has for you. And that He's calling you into. He's wanting you to learn to walk the way that He has for you. It's not always easy. It can be difficult. It's a struggle. As a matter of fact, did you, did you, and I know I've got to wind this down, but did you know that in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the enemy is not mentioned anywhere? Because he doesn't, he doesn't get in the way of your identity in Christ. God has called you. He's, he's adopted you. He has, he's purchased you. You are rooted and grounded and seated in Christ Jesus. But he shows up. The enemy shows up in chapters 4, 5, and 6. When you have to start walking this thing out. It's a struggle. And you're going to find, Paul goes on to say, he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers and darkness in this world. And he tells them, you've got, you got to put on the armor of God. You've got to have spiritual disciplines because this is not easy. It's a battle. But you can walk this out. That's why I pray, Paul says, that you would be strengthened in the inner man. That you would come to experience the fullness and the greatness of God's power that He has for you so that you can do these works, so that you can reach people for Christ. Guys, I'm here to tell you that Christianity is not about coming to church and just getting your feel on the weekends. It's about being empowered to go out and win people to Christ. And we can't win people to Christ if we ourselves are hiding in secret. We're living a lie. We're pretending to be somebody that, we not, that we're not. And God wants to fix us this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I want to... As a matter of fact, and we didn't plan this, but Austin, go you guys go ahead and the praise team come back and, and sing that Great Are You Lord song again. And, and we're just going to spend a, a few minutes in worship. But God wants to minister to your life today. God wants to do an incredible work in your life. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, what are other people going to think? It doesn't matter. All of us need to be healed. All of us need to step forward. We, we've all gone through seasons in our lives where maybe we were embarrassed to admit that we were struggling with something. But I know all the times that I've opened up, especially to other men, there was a release that was there. There was a relief that was there so that I could be healed and ministered to, to find that freedom. I want to pray over you this morning and then we're going to spend a few moments around the altar. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for, for this time that we could come together to, to hear your word. God, I thank you, Lord, as Paul was writing in the first three chapters of Ephesians. I'm thankful, Lord, for our identity in Christ. 
thankful, Lord, that you have saved us, Lord, by your marvelous grace. It wasn't anything that we could do to deserve it. It wasn't anything that we could do to earn it, God, but you saved us by your incredible grace. But Father, you didn't just save us, Lord, just so we could go to heaven. You saved us and equipped us to do great things for you so that we could win the world for Christ. And Father, I know that there are many people that are in this room today. God, I believe that they're born again, but Lord, they're struggling. They're struggling in their walk. They're struggling with their practice. They're struggling with their conduct. God, their lifestyle does not line up with their new life. And Lord, I know that you're speaking to people's hearts right now. Lord, that you're telling them that that style once fit you, but it no longer fits you. You're a new creation. There's a new way to live. And Lord, I pray that in this time of worship that we're about to share in, that as we sing, as we worship you, that people would open up and be honest. And they would surrender their lives to you and allow your spirit to heal them. I ask you to do these things today in Jesus' name.